1: This is the Blue, White and Yellow podcast from Leeds United Live, giving you the in-depth analysis of all the big talking points from Ellen Road. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Blue, White and Yellow with myself, Conor McGilligan, your multimedia producer and your Leeds United writers, Baron Cross and Joe Donoghue. That is getting smoother. Um, how are we doing, fellas? We okay, Baron, All good?
2: Yeah, yeah. it's uh, We're into the back end of the week now, aren't we? It's, um, it's been a few days since the, uh, the Man United game and uh, I think we're sort of through the worst of it now and we're very much looking ahead to Everton rather than back at, at Old Trafford. So um, we heard from Bielsa today, which I know we're going to talk about, which um, is always quite... I know we've, we've had a few cathartic Facebook Lives this week, but, um, but hearing from Marcelo is, is, is quite refreshing because it, I think he needs a bit of time to look at the matches as well. I think post-match is far too soon for him to kind of have any real sort of meaningful analysis for us because he obviously wants you know how he's so sort of thoughtful with what he says he likes to have a few days and now i mean as as you'll see from the transcripts on the website if anybody's not seen it yet there's some very very long answers in there where he really does explain what happened to old trafford
1: yeah we i mean there were so many questions asked today and, and a lot of things were cleared up which was which was great to see jd uh baron talks about um you know being cathartic and 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 sort of uh, marcella reflecting on that days afterwards how have you reflected on the performance at Old Trafford, mate? Are you feeling a little bit better now?
3: Uh, I mean, there was obviously the, the Facebook Live that myself and Beren did on the in, in the immediate aftermath and I haven't really changed my opinion a great deal from then. Um, obviously, it's still still disappointing. Obviously, you don't want to look at the league table. You don't want to, you know, I think five goals conceded. It's not exactly the best way to start a season. But, I mean, yeah, I, I hark back to what Bielsa said prior to that My United game and it was that, you know the the game being played whenever it was wasn't really significant in any way like we'll play man united at some point during the season doesn't matter if it's the first game or the last um so i i think it's it's become easier to sort of digest the reality of what happened and sort of looking forward now i mean there's 37 games to go there's not there's not going to be many that which are going to be as difficult as that in the circumstances um when you factor in obviously calvin wasn't there uh first game of the season coming in from you know a pretty you know, pretty drab pre-season campaign. Um, so, yeah, I, I think it's, it's it's easier to digest than 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 it was in the immediate aftermath. But um, I'm just hoping that we do see Calvin back on on Saturday. I think was
1: it that glaringly obvious uh, that that we missed Calvin at the weekend? Do you think?
3: Uh, oh, yeah, I mean, <laughs> Baron will agree with me here. It was kind of at, at the game we were just discussing. You know, the the, the periods where Bruno Fernandez would just drag Robin Cock from pillar to post absolutely all over the place and you know he'd drag him out to the left or to the right and mason green would would rotate in or pogba would rotate in and they were just taking up dangerous spaces and it was just yeah it was it was a bit of a, a bit of a troublesome one um and then on reflection watching the game back you know you see the first and third uh fernandez goals and you're like yeah it's you'd think that robin Koch might have wanted to maybe swivel his head a little bit more kind of track his man a little bit better in those instances um but i mean on the whole the te- i mean the the team i doubt would have performed a great deal better without if calvin phillips was in there you know maybe it would have been one or two goals fewer but i think the, the outcome would have been exactly the same yeah i think i mean calvin was there for
1: the first old trafford Defeat, exactly. wasn't he? Uh, it was sort of a stronger midfield then, really, and it, it, we still faced the same problems, didn't we? Baron, it was still that midfield that was sort of getting torn apart. I mean, McTominay, Zinedine Zidane.
2: Yeah, um, and, and thankfully, Marcelo was shed a bit more light on it. I think we we did, we did hone in on cock, didn't we? And and Marcelo at the time was 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 full of praise for him, which I know we, we have all sort of had had our own opinions on that, and maybe criticised Marcelo a little bit for what he said, or or maybe not criticised, but disagreed at least. Um, and he, he's kind of talked a bit more today about uh, Pogba and Fernandes and Greenwood and, and effectively how they're interchanging a position is ultimately what what sort of made Leeds United pay. And Cock, unfortunately, was the man right in the middle, like you said, know, with his head swiveling in all directions. He's got Pogba, Greenwood and Fernandes constantly changing positions all around him. He's already a bit awkward in that position. So it's hard enough telling him just follow Bruno Fernandes around, but then to have Pogba dropping in and Luke Hayland doesn't know whether to follow Pogba inside. You've got Greenwood dropping in so deep, so do Pascal and Liam follow him deep? Um, you, you know, we, We've said this a few times this week already, but Man United are a very, very good team and Solskjaer is slowly but surely maybe showing that he's got something about him. I don't know. I'm, I'm not one of these people that thinks he's brilliant, but Maybe he's just one of these that tells the players to go out and do what they want because they're that good. (laughs) Um, But but yeah, it was a a tough afternoon for for Robin. And um, whilst Bielsa hasn't said that Calvin's nailed on to start, I think it was quite telling that he admitted he didn't think it was necessary to send Calvin down to Palace on Monday with the 23s. So if we are trying to join the dots and read between the lines, you would think that if Marcelo had any pressing concerns about Calvin's... Ability to play this weekend, he would have surely sent him down at the start of the week for another 45 minutes because history shows that he's not afraid to throw his biggest and best players into the 23s if they do need minutes.
1: Yeah, we saw, I think Calvin's just put an Instagram post out as well, sort of like essentially saying buzzing for the Everton game and for a full, a full crowd at the weekend, which is obviously good to see. But don't know whether or not it's I'm sure. You know, Calvin was
2: well aware of that post, and it wasn't anything to do with his
1: social media team. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it was all Calvin. <laughs> when you post something like, <laughs> he Locke obviously posts Devon. his own
2: stuff now, doesn't he? Now he's yeah. an England star.
1: Okay, let's move on to the press conference. We've touched on on it a little bit. Obviously, we are reacting hours really after the uh, the press conference. So, major talking points, JD. What did we What did we get from the press conference, mate? Are there any are there any highlighting points that we've we've written up in the transcripts and stuff like that?
0: Oof,
3: yeah, that transcript. That was a that was a long one today. A, a three thousand word epic. Um, but I mean it, it was it was good going through it because you kind of you, you, you kind of you can see the thought process behind some of the things which which Bielsa says, um, and he just it just irons out the sort of maybe a few of the doubts or the questions that you have in your head about why certain things were certain ways. Um, but I think you know we, we've discussed the the where it went wrong at Man United part, but there was you know there was um, discussion about sort of Somerville and Paveda. Um, there was you know his his own stance on on the transfer market um, and the price of players that was quite interesting. Um, there was, you know, he spoke at length about Niall Huggins' potential exit, which, you know, it looks like he's going to be going to Sunderland, uh, probably on loan. Um, he spoke about Adam Forshaw and his recovery, you know, him coming back to, to the four, uh, potentially, you know, recovering to play a, a first team role. Uh, and then, of course, he, which I thought was quite poignant, I thought was really heartfelt as well. You know, he discussed the, um, uh, how he he felt as though he defrauded the um, or that was the word that Andres used. Uh, he felt that he defrauded the the Leeds fans. That he he felt the the disappointment that obviously he was attached to such a heavy defeat against an arch rival. So um, there was there was plenty to go at. Yeah, there's there was loads of um, loads of interesting sort of little offshoots from from that.
2: Yeah, so I think I think you're quite right, Joe. I think there was there was a lot of really good stuff in today's press conference, and um, over the course of the season, we do tend to sort of at some point run out of subjects to talk about. But whilst it's still early in, in the season, there is still quite a lot to get get stuck into with him. The, the Pervader stuff is quite interesting. Um, I was going to ask about him, but I think someone got there before me in the press conference. But it still feels like it's a little bit in the dark as to well exactly what's going on with with Pervader. So he was. Um, front and center in a lot of the preseason coverage you know i think he was i think he did i think he was second to shackleton in the bleep test at, um, at, beckett, at beckett university and he sort of he was obviously with the 23s and we sort of began to read a bit more into that when it became clear he really was a part of that group through the summer um I asked about Paveda in the first press conference before the Man United game. And again, he didn't really give me a great deal. He just said that people shouldn't really overanalyze who's playing for the 23s and who's playing for the first team, despite the fact that Forshaw and Paveda were the only sort of first team players to play regularly with the 23s, aside from uh, from the three or four who played in Amsterdam with the youngsters. So he sort of gave us that sort of very diplomatic answer, which we all know is the case anyway. But I think you, you can draw a bit more from the fact that Paveda in there. And then he was absent entirely from the Old Trafford match. Again, we talked about this a bit off air, but we, nobody asked specifically. I mean, when I asked about Pervedo, I didn't ask specifically about his injury situation. And that didn't get asked about today either. So at no point have we actually had from him, from Bielsa to say, Pervedo is injured. And that's why he's not in the squad or he's had COVID. And that's why he's not in the squads. So we haven't actually had that yet. So we are still left speculating as to why he was absent from both the first-team squad, and the 23s on Monday. And I think the fact he wasn't at Selhurst Park on Monday is is perhaps even more telling. So later this week, we had various reports uh, online suggesting that there was some kind of falling out behind the scenes. None of us have had anything to corroborate that or to suggest whether that's true or not. Um, But Marcelo was asked today as to whether Pervader was in the same situation as Huggins and Robbie Gotts, etc., with a view to kind of insinuating, does that mean Ian Pervader is going to be loaned out as well because there's no chances for him? And and Marcelo said that that Pervader is not in a a similar boat. He's much closer to the first team. He's competing with um, some very serious players, i.e. Rafinha, Costa, and Harrison in those wide areas. So that answer kind of suggested that he's not on the exit list. Um, But then there there was other times where he was listing his squad. You know, as we know, Bielsa is very thorough and very analytical and he's very careful with what he says and uh, I've not got the names to, to hand here, but he basically listed the squad position by position. And he said the three wingers in the yeah. squad, Costa, Harrison Rufini, and Rafinha. And Pavedo, again, was sort of conspicuous by his absence from that shortlist. And, yeah, again, we may be overanalyzing and Marcelo may come back and say, oh, you know, sorry, it was my mistake, I forgot to mention Jan, he's, he's involved. But if all we've got to go off is the press conference and what he's saying, then... He's neither on the exit list nor is he being mentioned in this sort of eight, the core group of 18, which we're all very familiar with by now, nor was he with the 23s on Monday. So he's in a sort of no man's land. So hopefully, um, if it's a really, really boring game on Saturday, we might ask him about Veda because there won't be much match to talk about. But it may well be we might not find out until next week. And quite fitting, there is a, uh, a Carabao Cup game on Tuesday against Crew and again that will be very enlightening because if he doesn't play there or isn't even the squad there then he's either got to be injured isolating with from covid or struggling with the after effects of covid none of which we know about or he is indeed ostracized and on the exit list and waiting for a move away so we'll hope you know more in the coming days but, the, but it was interesting what you were saying today and I think there's a bit more you can you can Sort of gather from it on Pervada. So we'll have to see. Uh, I did ask about Somerville, which I think is is a narrative a lot of us are buying into now. You know, another great goal on Monday, which Joe can tell us about from the twenty threes. And um, as we all find in the press pack, when you put something to Marcelo and you, you kind of put your own opinion out there, it's always quite quite relaxing when he starts his answer by saying, "Yes, I agree. I agree with your <laughs> well, no. with your uh, with your hypothesis." <laughs> oh, thank God! Thank God! I'm watching the same game as this man um so it's quite it relaxes you a little bit when he agrees and there's not that kind of hostility but um yeah you know, again as, as with all the young players he says that you know they've still they've still to pass the biggest test which of course is to kind of establish yourself get ahead of some of the best players in the premier league in the first team and and then to prove you can do it i mean we've seen it with jack clark that's a, another great example of somebody who did burst through and and perhaps over time didn't quite establish themselves as they would have liked so um so, yeah, Somerville and Paveda were, were quite interesting to me today. There was one bit in, in his answer about Paveda which was quite interesting to me.
3: Uh, I don't know whether you picked up picked up on it as well, Baron, but it was the end of the, the question where he was asked if he's in a similar boat to Niall Huggins. Um, and he said, there are also players that are evolving and competing with him, him being Paveda, to be part of the group. And I I took that to mean someone like Somerville. Yeah, that's as a great point, yeah. Someone who is, you know, you know, competing with him. And I think four, five, six months ago, you wouldn't have. I mean, despite how well Somerville had been doing with the 23s, I doubt you'd have seen Bielsa admit that. So clearly yeah. he's made an impression. I mean, his, his comments on Somerville, he, he clearly has made an impression uh, on Bielsa throughout preseason. Yeah. Um, and obviously the analysis that, that you and Marcelo have both done and corroborated on, um, that's, you know, that, that's something which I think the vast majority of people have, have seen and went actually you know what these 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 players you know Pervéder in particular is probably one that's going to be looking over his shoulder um because I mean how long can you ignore somebody who game by game is scoring goals is Mm. winning penalties is making assists Uh, you know he he can only do that for so long in the 23s before he gets told you know what you're you're being bumped up to the to the first team squad um and obviously that was the case on Saturday wasn't it when he was in the squad at, at Old Trafford him and uh, sam greenwood out of the 23s were there um obviously with foreshaw as well but he's kind of that auxiliary member of the 23s at the moment um but yeah i, I think that that is something which which i think will will be a sort of maybe an, an intra squad battle um over the next few next few weeks because you know if if Perveda, I mean you mentioned the crew game next week um on on Tuesday the 24th the 23rd on the Monday evening um, or Monday afternoon, the 23s are playing against Spurs, so that'll be quite interesting to see which team then plays against Crew, because you obviously got uh, one game 24 hours before that Carabao yeah. Cup fixture. So it'll be if Pervedas not involved in any of that, I think you'd have mm. to agree with 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 your hypothesis again, Baron. Yeah,
2: I think I think you're quite right. I, I did actually miss that. I think um, we had some audio issues today, and I think I did miss the back end of the answer, which which like you say almost certainly suggests someone like Somerville is, first of all, evolving, getting better to the point where they are now competing with Paveda mm-hmm. And I think, I mean, I don't think we have any arguments with that. If if, if Somerville was in the squad on Saturday because he's ahead of Paveda as that next option off the bench, we know Bielsa picks his bench very um, very thoughtfully in terms of making sure he's got a lot of bases covered in terms of position. So if Somerville's ahead of Paveda in the pecking order, fair enough. But then that kind of casts another light on the Park game thinking, okay, well, if Paveda's not in either, what's going on there? So, um, yeah, I mean, like you say, I mean, we're all kind of failing in our jobs. we sort, of, <laughs> sort of questioning where Paveda is. And none of us actually said, Marcelo is is Jan injured? Because that would, that would immediately tell us something quite clearly. But, yeah, it's really interesting, like you say, about next week, Joe. We've got you know, four matches in the space of seven days and, it will be interesting to see how they, they divvy things up between the twenty-threes on the Monday and, and the crew game because last season against Hull, um, which is a virtually identical game in terms of it's a cup game, it's early on, it's at Allen Road, and it's against a a, a club which is I think a crew league one. So I mean crew crew at the same level That's as Hull so, were yeah. last season, so we're two divisions different. So it should, in theory, be a very, very similar setup. So Perveda, surely, if fit, has to play. If not in the crew game, which I think he'd be quite disappointed to miss, then surely the Spurs game the day before.
1: And he also mentioned, you know, he was talking about depth there, Somerville, Purveda, et cetera. were questions asked about the transfer window, if he's happy, if he's sort of satisfied with the squad as well. What what was said there, Joe?
3: Um, it's I mean, it's the answer that nobody wants to hear, really, isn't it? It's the it's the the he, i think what was the answer I've, I've got the transcript up here it was um it was a pretty blunt question and it was a fairly blunt answer it was you know along the lines of are you are you happy with the are you are you any closer to bringing any new players into the club and i think Marcelo just said it's not probable that any more signings will be made um and from that it kind of took a all oh, right okay are you, are you happy with the squad or is that you know to do with the finances you went into a bit more depth but you kind of said that you know they're not they're not completely, you know, they haven't shut up shop. The shutters are not down on the, on you know, the Leeds United transfer business this summer. They'll still be alert to the Rafinha type deals, but again, that relies on somebody giving Victor Auto a ring saying such, such and such are lower in their, their asking price for for this player. Um, are you willing to, to, to? Are you interested essentially? Um, because I think. I'm bearing. You probably got this as well, but I think even Bielsa is probably a bit frustrated with the lack of liquidity that's in the transfer market this this summer. You know, he was saying something like, um, you know, even the low prices are high because there's so there's so few players that are actually available for anything that's you know vaguely realistic for what they're worth. Um, and he he reiterated the point that that Angus Kinnear made last week was that. The only the, the only reason that you bring in a player is is if they can overcome the player that is is currently uh, in that position in the team you know there's no point there's no there's no point in bringing in a player who is just gonna clog up the the first team who is just gonna block the pathways for someone like Somerville for example um, when realistically the the marginal gains that you're gonna get from from spending 15 20 million on a player just isn't gonna you know it, it just doesn't make just make sense it doesn't check out so I think Bielsa was a little bit. I wouldn't say he was frustrated. I think he was just kind of laying down the law in terms of you know the the prices for these players that we that we might want are in, are inaccessible. So we're not gonna we're not gonna break our backs to sign them. Um, when when you know we're not gonna get taken for a ride essentially by a selling club.
2: Yeah, I think it plays into the narrative that Rafinha arrived on last year in terms of. They will move the players if the prices come down effectively or if they if they are good enough to improve the side and the prices come down. And I don't think you'll see the prices come down until clubs start to panic or start to realise they are desperate to to sell and desperate to need the money. So it will come down to to maybe that final week or so. But I think, yeah, it does come down to to liquidity in the market. And as you've said, when you read back the comments, it's pretty clear that's what he's saying, you know, the low prices at the moment are very high. It doesn't get any clearer than that. <laughs> and the good players, i.e. the players that are good enough to improve our team, their prices are inaccessible. I mean, that's, it's a very strong word to use, inaccessible. So that doesn't imply that Leeds haven't got any money, which I know some fans are growing a little bit concerned about. I mean, there has never been at any stage any noises from anyone at the club about struggling with finances. It is very much their decision not to go in and to blow the bank on another £100 billion splurge. I think that their reasons, whether you agree with them or not, are clear as to why they are not going out and spending 40 50 million on somebody to, to outright improve the squad. Um, so I, I think he plays into me. What's not logical is that players cost three times as much as the players we're currently trying to incorporate. And there's something said about Foreshaw in this as well. You know, He we, was we, we talking glowingly about Foreshaw, and anybody that's followed Bielsa, in um, his press conferences and, and maybe some of his his um, minor answers in press conferences will know that whenever Bielsa has talked about Foreshaw, he has talked very, very respectfully and very positively. And, I mean, we're going back more than two years now, but but people should remember that in that first year under Bielsa, Foreshaw, when fit, was one of the best players in the team, especially in that very first summer um, before he got the foot injury ahead of the last Palmas friendly. So Bielsa very, very cautiously, very, very patiently wants to give Foreshaw the time, but he firmly believes there is one of the better players in the squad hiding away there that can just keep him fit and try and get him back. And he said, you know, we mentioned within his answer on Foreshaw about transfer values and how, you know, somebody like Foreshaw is, is somebody that's not available on the market or somebody that would cost a lot of money in the market. So that's the way he sees things. Um, so I, mean, I think I don't think Bielsa could speak any clearly, any more clearly about it. If if somebody's going to come in that can improve the side, it's going to be later in the window, and other clubs are going to have to lower their asking prices. You know, if, if people are dreaming of the likes of a Noah Lang or a Ryan Kent, you're going to need to see prices come down. Just one final thing on that transfers point. While you were saying those, you know,
3: while you, you were repeating um, Bielsa's comments there, Baron, it just kind of hit me. You know, like he's saying that the the prices for the players that are good, i.e., the players that that they want to add are inaccessible that says to me that they've tried as in they've inquired it's not as though they've just been sitting on their hands doing nothing for six weeks since firpo and, and harrison and class were signed it's a case of you know that these questions have been asked you know inquiries have been made and it's a case of well you, you know you're being you've been laughed out of places well sorry you're, you're laughing you're leaving these hypothetical negotiating tables um you know laughing because you're thinking well, you're never going to get that fee for for this for this player from anybody in this market because, first of all, very few clubs actually have that cash. Very, even fewer clubs are willing to spend, you know, a thirty. I mean, a thirty million valuation for someone like Ryan Kent. I know he's a player that Bielsa likes, but to spend thirty million pounds on a player who might not even start for until November or might not even start until December, it just it doesn't make sense um and you know it's a different story if he's worth if he's valued at 15 and Mm -hmm. rangers who obviously haven't qualified for europe um or haven't qualified for the champions league they need that extra cash but you know you you are again relying on clubs kind of getting them you know getting a a bit a bit itchy you know with the trigger fingers thinking right we need to you know we need to to offload a few players here now because otherwise yeah we're going to be um we're going to be in in trouble yeah,
1: and I think that works both ways as well. You know, you were just, there's, there's two interesting points that you were talking about Somerville before and obviously Lewis Bate as well. And we've heard murmurings that they're not that far away from the first team squad, you know, they're very, very decent players. So bringing two players in, a winger and a central midfielder, which is what a lot of fans want, like you've said, JD, is sort of blocking the pathway. And I think that's something that I bet Marcelo Bielsa will be considering alongside that, just because Leeds aren't spending the money on a certain individual, a la It's speculative, but Lewis O'Brien, let's say, or Ryan Kent, that doesn't mean that leads to skin. It just means that, like you've said, they don't value that player at what that club is asking for. And there's a massive difference, isn't there? So the big news of the week as well, Leeds United fans are going to be back in full capacity at Ellen Road. You two were at Old Trafford. The atmosphere seemed to be absolutely electric there. You know, 75,000 fans there. Obviously, I think there's a pocket of about 3,000 Leeds fans and it seemed noisy on the TV. Very, very noisy. Obviously, then bringing out Raphael Varane sort of helped that at the start. But... Are you expecting something similar at the weekend with regards to leads? Leeds? Uh, I mean, I can't wait to hear, what is it going to be, 36 37,000 Leeds fans? Baron. Are you, are you looking forward to being back?
2: Yeah, I really, really can't wait. It's, it's going to be fantastic to hear a full full Ellen Road again. Um, we we had that sort of taste of uh, the 8,000 at Southampton and then another 8,000 at Ellen Road back in the last season, and that felt really, really loud. So um, to go to, to Old Trafford on Saturday, of course, set the bar at a new level, but uh, I've lost track of where I said it. It might have been on one of the Facebook lives you did, but um it sort of almost was almost sort of too loud. It's sort of almost like it's such a big stadium, it's almost away from the ground and away from the pitch at Old Trafford, whereas at Ellen Road, it's right on top of you. So yeah, I mean, I think I've written about this in the past when I've written about sort of our job and what it's like reporting from the press box. And it's so loud and intimidating at Ellen Road, it's almost distracting and you almost sort of you lose you lose your train of thought when you're writing a sentence because you're sort of looking up and looking around the stadium. Um, when it gets really, really loud. So um, I think there's going to be an immense amount of emotions as well. You know, I think there's not really been much talk about what's gone on off the pitch since and the people we've lost. And I've got to say, I've, I've got to praise uh, Manchester United for what they did last Saturday because they made sure that everyone lost from both clubs was was listed and named. And I thought it was amazingly touching the way that the only people in the stadium that observed the minute silence were the players because everybody else was applauding. Um, really, really, quite a touching moment with uh, with Unison on all sides for for the people that have been lost, and I'm sure the club have got uh, have got something special planned on Saturday. I, I completely, I, I, I don't envy the issue they've got of ensuring that every person gets the gets the spotlight they deserve, because pretty much everybody that's that's passed away since uh, the Huddersfield game deserves their own 15-, 20 minute tribute for a match. Evidently, they haven't got enough time to do that for every single person that that has passed away. So I don't envy them. Um, I don't know what more they can do other than list the names uh, within the time they've got because they want to get enough people inside the ground sort of before the match to actually acknowledge them. So I'm sure they will have plans plans in place for that. And that will make for a very, very emotional day. And just hearing March on together again with a full stadium, maybe a bit of wacko with the scarves going, that'll be nice during the game. Um, And let's just hope they get a win. I think a win would be nice just to kind of restore a little bit of order. I think Marcelo used the word uncertainty today. He completely understands that uncertainty mm-hmm. comes with defeats like last Saturday's. Uh, but if they can just get a win on, on this weekend, I think we'll very, very quickly forget about Old Trafford.
1: Everton coming up then off the pitch. I'm sure they'll bring a decent a decent following as well. Um, I also Everton and Leeds and probably Aston Villa is sort of similar similar clubs in that vein. Um but yeah I, I think Everton you know it'd be a great occasion and like I think someone said it on a, on a different show actually if if we were sort of welcoming Watford you know or or a team like that it'd be a little bit like mm, okay but we're welcoming mm-hmm. Everton it's going to be a huge huge occasion um on both ends really but on the pitch then Everton what are we what are we expecting obviously a 3-1 win Uh, Last weekend, their first home game of the season under new management, Rafael Benitez. Baron, what sort of game are we expecting at the weekend, do you think? Lots of crosses. The (laughs) Dominic Calvin
2: Lewin leaping 10 feet into the air. Have you been watching Shearer's analysis on Match of the Day? Yeah, yeah, well, I mean, Marcelo said a bit today, um, with with the Benitez team, you're always going to get something very compact, very hard to beat, very defensively minded. And I mean that's that's gonna, that's at home. So I mean you can imagine what they're going to be like away from home. Quite hard to read too much into what happened uh, at Goodison Park. I think Southampton, I mean, barring some some pretty decent business at the end of this this month, they could be in serious trouble this year. Um, just feel that like they've been on a, on a downward curve, and I think Everton took took full advantage of that. And we talked about it earlier in the week, Connor. But, but to hear that Richarlison went to the Copper America and the Olympics, and then started the first game of the season, I mean. <laughs> He's going to be done by Christmas. I mean, to be fair, he's going to, he's a start, Clearly, he, he scored, got an assist. He started the season in good form because he's played a lot more football than anybody else and he's sharp. But he's going to be in bits by, by halfway through. So I hope that they've got a plan for him. But um, yeah, clearly a very, very good result for them. And I don't think many people, I mean, I think in the optimism st- stakes, I don't think Everton fans were, were sort of had too many high hopes for Saturday. But Calvalloon, of course, hadn't played during pre season, but, but he, Gone on, on the score sheet with a header, what, about half a foot off the air? He was sort of, he went full milieu, didn't he? Sort of levitating off the floor just to get mm. his head to it. So I think it will be a very physical battle up top, which I think will suit Cooper and whoever he plays again, uh, plays alongside. Um, but you've got to say they're there for the take it. And it's got to be a game that Leeds have got to look at as winning. You know, a team that finished below Leeds in the league last season. i was just said Leeds, Leeds are at home. Luca Dinia, we know he's going to get high up the pitch. Seamus Coleman, maybe a little bit more defensively minded. So that's going to suit Rafinha if you can get down Luca Dinia's side and, and get him behind him. Um, off the top of my head, I think they've got, is, is it Holgate? And is Michael Keane fit? So, I mean, you're going to have those lads at the back. DeCure, I think, has had mixed reviews. Um, I do like Allen. Uh, at least I did sort of the first half of last season. I think him and DeCourie look really, really good. But I don't know how their sort of stock has, has changed. And I know Damari Gray and Andros Townsend are obviously very, very new and have been brought in to basically put those crosses into the box. So, um, yeah, we'll see. I'm sure Joe's got some more insightful thoughts than me on Everton. Um,
3: I I don't know, really. I was going to do the similar kind of go through the squad and and assess who's going to be the danger man and who's not. So, um, yeah, it's a difficult one to figure out, really, isn't it? Because I suppose with any Rafa Benitez team, you kind of, I mean, with any new manager coming in, They've played a home game now. It's their first away game. You don't know whether they're going to spring a surprise and maybe play on the front foot. I'd imagine that's not going to be the case um, based on uh, Benitez's recent history in, in English football. Um you'd have to say that you'd be expecting a dour defensive performance trying to catch you on the break on the wings um you know that's very much the, the I think the reason why he brought in Townsend and Damari Gray um because he's, he's gonna try and go full Salomon Rondon with with Dominic Calvert-Lewin uh, this season um you know just pump balls into his chest uh trying to make it stick um which was you know was successful for him so I don't see why he wouldn't try and do that again um but I think, yeah, if if Luca Dinia isn't on, isn't sharp, isn't, you know, up for a game where he's going to have to track Rafinha's 30 plus sprints every game, then that's, that could, that could be an area which leads exploit. Um, There was, I think Luke Shaw did a real number on Rafinha last week, but I wouldn't quite put Dinia defensively in that same bracket as Shaw, at least not in the last 12 months. Um, So that is, I mean, we saw how Rafinha did you know, really well against Everton last season. Scored twice, didn't he, in the home and away game? Um, the, the the away match at Goodison in, in particular, when he, you know, he, he kept making those drifting runs into into the center of the pitch. If we see him do that again, I think you know that could be an area which which Leeds really exploit because, as as I don't want to say reliable, but you know, Michael Keane is reliable, but he does have that occasional little mistake in him, and we saw that last week for the goal that Southampton scored. Um, you know, there's the little laps in concentration. I think Everton do have that. Um, and if we're going to talk about lapses in concentration and maybe having a... a, a, a what's, the, what's the word? Maybe a a, a soft... Not a soft centre, but maybe just a, a little bit of head loss. I think we have to discuss Jordan Pickford. And, you know, there's there's the, always the potential that, that he might just throw one in. Um, he's he a might... different
2: player, isn't he, for Everton? He's a completely oh, different player to <laughs> yeah. what he is for England.
3: Yeah, England, he's extremely reliable, um, which... I, I, it just baffles me considering that, you know, Everton fans watch him every week and think, oh, is today going to be the day when Jordan Pickford (laughs) does it again? (laughs) Um, But you know, you never know, you might get that. Um, So who knows? I I think, again, I'd echo what you guys are saying. It's at home against a team who finished below Leeds last season. They similarly, similarly haven't strengthened to the same degree as other teams in mid table. Mm. So you'd have to say it has to be a, you know, you've got to be going into this game looking for three points, especially on the back of last week as well.
2: What's... And they're still, they're still going to be getting used to Benitez's system, aren't they? I mean, yeah. that's that's the thing. They obviously did get a good result, which not many people expected. But again, I'm putting a little bit of that on Southampton as well. But that's the other advantage that Bielsa's Leeds will have going into Saturday is that Benitez, as astute as he is, and, and anybody that's, that's seen his teams will know that, it's still a group of players that are getting used to what he wants um, in what will be an undoubtedly slightly more defensive system away from home. So that's got to be something else that that suits Bielsa's leads on their own uh, home turf.
1: Right guys, we have had the Leeds United perspective, now it's time to get the Everton perspective. Like last week, we feel as partially unbiased Leeds fans that we have to get the other side of the coin. Last week we were joined by MEN Chief Writer Samuel Luckhurst, and this week we are joined by Everton Writer for the Liverpool Echo, Elliot Brettland. We hope you enjoy. Elliot, a good opening weekend for Everton. Uh, Less said about Leeds' opening weekend, the better uh how how did it go mate obviously we didn't we didn't catch that much of it we we are happy with the performance overall
0: yeah well i was very happy with the second half performance but probably because the the first half performance wasn't so great um last season under carlo ancelotti everton lost a number of games um 1-0 uh to against teams that you know we we would expect to to probably beat as soon as the ball hit the back of the net that and we knew it was game over so when, when Adam Armstrong put Southampton ahead in the first half after a bit of a, a defensive lapse, I think everyone inside Goodison was a bit worried to see, you know, would it happen again? But obviously with a different manager in charge, it was it was up to him then to to stand up and, and make those changes. And he did. He, he, he changed it really well. Um, second half came and Richarlison scored to get the equaliser pretty instantly. And then with that, with the fans back in the ground, I think for the first time in 18 months, I think I think Goodison Park really played its part. And Everton attacked with, with real vigour and, and intent. And it was a completely different story. So, so far, so good.
1: Yeah, two similar teams in terms of atmospheres, I'd say, Leeds and Everton. I'd say that they're really comparable in terms of building it up. And yeah, it's Ellen Road and Goodison. I've been to Goodison a couple of times and, and, and very, very similar grounds. But in terms of obviously Richarlison played, which was incredible. I mean, he was with... Brazil at the Olympics, wasn't he? I mean, we've still got Calvin Phillips, and obviously, he was with England in the Euros, and he just couldn't feature at the weekend. I don't know if it's that uh, intensity that leads play out or whatever and fitting in the system, but did
0: Richarlison look look back to his best the other day? Yeah, I think he just loves to play football. I sort of joked after the game <laughs> that I wouldn't be surprised to see him on like the five side pitches close to good. <laughs> this one on Saturday night, he just seems to love it. But I think, I think obviously, Everton need their best players at the start of the season, and so. While we while we allowed Richardson to go to the Olympics to achieve his personal ambitions, I think I think there's a really good respect there between the club and, and the player, and I think he he appreciated the fact that you know the club didn't have to let him. I mean, in this day and age, I suppose the players do have the power, and I'm sure Everton probably would have relented eventually to to allow him to go. And I understand that there were talks initially about him going, but you know the club allowed him. He's he's really. Achieved and won a gold medal, and you know it was it was wonderful to see him come back with his gold medal and showing the players <laughs> at training. You know his teammates are clearly very proud of him, and then he's just gone straight into the team and worked as hard as he always does, and that that's a good thing about Richarlison as well. He's a really attacking player, and he's really important for scoring goals, but he does do his work for the team as well. He really does track back and you know it's important that he's in there now and like i say it's just it's it's nice to to see a player in a club have that mutual respect and benitez has said that he does have a plan to rest him later in the season but right now to to kick the season off he's integral
1: yeah obviously there was two big games last year it was Strange, really, because I described it to one of my mates as like a boxing match. It was so even uh, in terms of Everton versus Leeds over two legs for me. Overall, what did you what did you make of the two games? Did you think were you sort of impressed by Leeds? It was it was very Everton under Ancelotti, wasn't it? It was the blueprint. You know, you were uh, good defensively in the second game, but the first game it was very passive in in possession and just passive generally. What did you make of, of both fixtures there, Elliot?
0: Well, obviously, Leeds are a massive, you know, historic club. And for for the older Evertonians, they know all about Leeds in the top division. But I guess for the younger fans, Leeds were a completely new side. Uh, and at Elland Road, especially, Everton did not have a good record for, for decades. No. And, uh, <laughs> I remember Wayne Rooney, the season he burst onto the scene. 1 0. Yeah, great winner. He beat Lucas of rather B, 10th. And, uh, you know, fired into the bottom corner, and the fans went crazy. And I think since then, I think Everton have only played Leeds in a, in a in a league cup game before. Then when Leeds won again, so obviously we know the history of Leeds. But in terms of the team, I think as you say, it's 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 those styles of play probably suited the away team more. You mm. know, Ancelotti a lot of the time. He, you know his expertise. He is the master tactician. He's won so much and away from home. I mean, for 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 Everton to win their first Merseyside derby this in the twenty first century. Yeah, no, we we beat Tottenham away. We we got some really good wins on the road, and I think it is what. But at home, Leeds were like the worst team we could have played in terms of in terms of how you set up, in terms of the the energy that you've got, the tenacity, the you know the 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 way you push push and push. I think that was the worst thing that could have happened to to Everton at home. Um, so it was two different styles, but I think. It will be really interesting uh, on Saturday because Benitez, I think, is probably a bit more flexible. Probably mm. He's probably got a plan A, B, C and D. And so it will be very interesting to see how he sets up to negate Leeds and be also this time around.
1: Yeah, I think there was at the weekend something like 17 crosses and obviously yeah. he's clearly <laughs> brought in Townsend and Gray for that purpose and and, and hit DCL and yeah. I think your average last year was something like 12 crosses per game. So it's clear where he's targeting and uh, I, he's all, Benitez is always going to make you defensively resolute as well, isn't yeah. he? So so is that is that sort of what you're expecting at the weekend, sort of Everton sitting, be defensively dogged and and be sort of dynamic on the wings and get the ball into DCL as quickly as they can?
0: Yeah, I think we'll be a lot more compact. I think we will be solid, but as you say, I think that we will have that tenacity going forward when we played at Old Trafford in, a, in pre-season, a week before the, the season started. Obviously, Everton were beaten 4-0, but the attacking intent was there. I mean, at times, Richarlison and Calvert-Lewin weren't available, so we actually had Hammers, Rodriguez and Damari Gray as a as a front two with Awobi and Townsend on the wings, but at times, it was almost in the first half like a 4-2-4. We were really pushing forward, and... Obviously, not having those strikers to finish off the goals, you know, hurt us. But I think while, while Townsend and Gray probably weren't the, the big names fans want during a transfer window, I think for the first time in the Farad Macheri era, we've, we've not signed players that we want, but we've signed players that we need. Mm-hmm. Calvert-Lewin in front of goal, um, I think he got seven headed goals last season. And Andros Townsend was the most accurate crosser. So it makes sense to to put those two players together because I think... In the last five years, since Everton have had investments, I think they've lacked relationships and partnerships on the pitch. I think it's been more a scattergun approach of of signing names or players that just happen to be available. You know, we've been able to entice players with big wages, but I think this time we've we've been clever and savvy, partly down to financial fair play, but as well, I think Benitez has probably identified that area of the pitch and and looked for the wingers to get those balls in the box because when you've got Calvert-Lewin's ability in the air and then you've got Richarlison, who's really busy in the area as well, it, it, it makes sense to get players like that. So it does feel like Benitez has sort of looked for the right um, jigsaw pieces to put together in the team rather than just the, the big names.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely more worried about a Benitez-Everton coming to town than an Ancelotti-Everton. Is it? Would, would you sort of share that sentiment?
0: Yeah, definitely. I mean, that was the thing. While Ancelotti was a massive name and, you know, I think everyone at the club was, was gutted to see him go, it, you know, it, it's there in black and white that those results at home weren't good enough. And yeah. I think Ancelotti um, was more of a thinker. He tried to influence the game in the substitutes he made, whereas already I've written a piece uh, yesterday that Benitez was such an animated figure on the touchline. It was almost like he was holding the, the player's hand throughout the entire game. Whereas last season, I think if the players looked at the touchline at Ancelotti, they wouldn't really get a response from him. Mm. Um, whereas Benitez is is probably talking to them through the game minute by minute as it develops. So I think in that sense, I, I think as well, this Everton squad does need a manager that, that coaches them to the nth degree in, in the game, you know, in game management. I think this Everton team showed that they need that in the results they got last year. And obviously a, a good 3-1 win on the opening day has shown that Benitez has had that impact.
1: Yeah. Uh, so obviously you saw the weekend's result. We don't need to touch on that too much, Elliot. But um, we got taught a lesson really at Old Trafford and it, it mirrored the first time we went there and, and they put six past us. But we adapted throughout the season and we drew with them nil-nil at home. It was We played really, really well. We shackled them. Um, but we sort of went back to the old style of, of Leeds where it was gung-ho against the big boys. Yeah. Um, are you coming into this game like void of confidence and expecting a you know an outright win, or do you think that this is going to be a tough game for Everton? Do you think the sort of that first game might have put everyone's mindset in the fact that you know oh, Leeds leads are going to be an easy scalp this year, or do you think this game's going to be a bit of a difficult one? And that was just an isolated fixture.
0: Yeah, no, I think I think the complete opposite. I'm actually, if if you'd have got a result against United, I'd probably be more confident. But Mm. the fact you've been a bit wounded on the opening day, and similar to Goodison as well, Elland Road first game back in eighteen months. You know, it it seventeen
1: years with fans, mate.
0: Exactly. Well, yeah, exactly. Seventeen years with fans. It's, it's, it's huge. It's, it's, and that's what I mean. The Leeds fan base is is a weapon that you can utilize, just like the Everton fan base is at Goodison. So really, you know, I I would have preferred if you'd managed to like (laughs) nick a draw at Old Trafford because going into this game, you, you know, you're a wounded animal. And, you know, that that high intensity that Bielsa plays, I, I expect you to be really on it. And so it, it's one of intrigue, really, that it's it's going to be interesting to see how Benitez and the Everson team deal with it. And I think it's then, depending on the Leeds results, is how confident I'll be going into the rest of the season then. Because if we can if we can get another result at like, a packed Ellen Road, that will show that the players have actually really got that desire at the moment and, and the focus to to get those results and to match these teams.
1: Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, it'd be some result. I think it's it's going to be a great game, mate. I'm gonna I pushed Samuel Luckhurst last week from the Men. Um, can you give us a scoreline, mate?
0: I'm going to be really boring, you know. <laughs> you well,
1: Sam, mate, Samuel said a nil-nil score draw. Did
0: just say that that way? Yeah, no, I'm going to say. Go on, then. I won't say nil-nil. I'll say one-all.
1: Yeah, top man. Well, Elliot, thank you so much for joining me, buddy. Where
0: can people find you? Uh, so I'm on Twitter at L Bretland. Uh, and obviously at the Liverpool Echo as well, where I am a, a Everton and Liverpool writer, brand writer. Cheers,
1: Elliot. Really appreciate
0: it, no mate. Problem. Cheers, Connor. Thanks, mate. Well,
1: guys, that is going to be your lot for this week. Always do us a solid and check out our social media. Also, get over to our page and read all the Everton preamble. Do you agree? Do you disagree? Let us know, of course. We'll be back next week talking about the Everton game and previewing the games ahead. And, of course, reacting to Marcelo Bielsa's press conference, which we will be doing every single week. Leave us a five-star rating and we will catch you next week. Cheers.